Hey church, this is Pastor Matt Zola from Fern Creek Christian Church. So glad you're able to tune in with us today here on FC Radio. I hope this message encourages you in your walk of faith and helps you to become a better follower of Jesus. Check out our website at www.ferncreekcc.org and let us know how we can be praying for you. Here's the message. Well, hey, good morning again, everybody. It's good to see you. Um, If you're visiting with us, we're wrapping up a a three-week series that we've called Christmas Vacation. And if you're joining us online, we're so thrilled uh, to have you uh, worshiping with us as well. So you you remember week one, we talked about Cousin Eddie, right? We talked about in the genealogy of Jesus, there were several Cousin Eddies, several outliers, several crazy kind of characters. And I also talked about Many of us, all of us, have some Cousin Eddie blood flowing through our veins, but it's okay because Jesus came to save, to save us all. And then last Sunday, we talked about the squirrels, right? We talked about the squirrels of disappointment and difficulty and how Mary and Joseph had to face that in their life, but Jesus was with them and he brought them out of some of that chaos, and he can do the same thing for you and I. So let's wrap up our Christmas Vacation series with another great clip from the movie. Check this one out right here. Before we begin, since this is Aunt Bethany's 80th Christmas, I think she should lead us in the saying of grace. Oh, great. What, dear? Grace! Grace! She passed away 30 years ago. They want you to say grace. The blessing! I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands. One nation with liberty and justice for all. Amen. 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 Uh, a little confused, probably, right? And, and, and I wonder, uh, for many of us, if that fog of confusion doesn't fall every single year as we come to Christmas. I mean, has Christmas really become just some dry, dusty, archaic thing that we think about before we get to the good stuff of family and food and, and presents? Ralph Sockman said this about Christmas. Listen to what he said. The history, the hinge of history, is hung on the door of a Bethlehem stable. Now think about that. If he's true, and I think he is, the hinge of all human history, that's pretty impressive. That's pretty amazing. Man, my friends, the Christmas miracle is, it's the miracle of all miracles. Do you fully understand what happened 
that first Christmas? Do, do we fully understand the, the significance of the incarnation, the creator, the ruler of a hundred billion galaxies, the almighty God who breathed the spark of life into the very fabric of the cosmos, limits himself to where now he will feel pain. He will get sick. He will feel hunger. My mind can't comprehend how the almighty God can do that, but that's what he did. The God who sees all past, who sees all present, who sees all future, will exchange his omniscience for a human brain that will have to learn how to walk. He will have to learn how to talk. He will have to learn how to write Hebrew. And the God who has no beginning, no end, the God who fills every corner of the universe is now encased in skin. It truly is the miracle of all miracles. But we've told the story so often. We've commercialized it. We've, we've allowed it to lose a bit of its luster. Several years ago, Life Magazine sent one of their photographers to Venice, Italy, to the School of San Rocco. Housed inside the School of San Rocco were the world-famous Tintoretto Nativity Murals. And they sent this guy to take pictures so they could publish, uh, publish them in Life magazine. So his goal was to try to take the pictures to, to show the natural beauty of the, of the, of the murals. Well, he failed. Every shot was a failure. No matter what angle he tried to shoot the murals, no matter what kind of lens, no matter what kind of light, man, they, the natural color wouldn't, wouldn't shine through. And so after... Uh, hours of investigative work, he, he discovered that every one of those murals was overlaid with 400 years of varnish and dust. And, and that kept the radiant natural colors of the murals unable to break through the, the layers of dust and varnish. And I think, I think much of the world has allowed the dust of symbolism, the varnish of secularism, the layers of consumerism, to, to blot out, to hold back the true vibrant colors of what Christmas is really all about. But I'm convinced if you can look through the layers of lights, if you can gaze through the glaze of garland, if you and I can, can every year look afresh at this wonderful portrait of God, I am convinced that those true colors uh, will still break forth today. And when you think about what Christmas is all about, it truly is a love story. The greatest love story I think ever told. When you peel this back, you, you discover the love of a husband. Now, I have a lament about the Christmas account. And my lament really focuses on Joseph. It saddens me how little press Joseph actually gets. When you look at any nativity set, I don't know who you're drawn to, but I watch people look at nativity sets. People ooh and ah over the wise man, ooh. People rush to pick up the camel. People look at the shepherds 
They look at the sheep. A silent, reverent hush falls over Mary and baby Jesus. But no one bats an eye at old man Joseph. He gets described. If he falls off the table and becomes a chew toy of the dog, no one bats an eye about it. He gets left out of the story. If you come with me to the Holy Land, we'll stop in Nazareth, the hometown where Jesus is going to grow up, where Mary and Joseph will make their living, their life. And there are two ginormous churches built in honor of Mary. The Catholics have one. The Greek Orthodox have one. Let me show you the picture for the church built in honor of Mary. Here's the big one. Man, it, it, it is immaculate. It's an amazing building, multi-storied, marble and gold pillars. Nations from all over the world sent sculptures of Mary that fill this entire cathedral. And as you walk in, the monks, shh, hush you, shh, can't wear a hat. I mean, it is a reverent, awesome place. Well, after several years of going to Nazareth and going to that church, I, I asked myself, where's Joseph's church? I mean, he was a part of the team. Is there a church built in memory of Joseph? And there is. It's a couple blocks away. It's not on anyone's stop list, but I actually went there and took a picture from the inside. Here's the inside of Joseph's church. Take a look at this. Mary gets the gold mine and he gets the shaft right there. It's a tiny little chapel. And, and, and I think, you know, that's so, that's so Joseph. I'm a little bitter for my brother, right? And even though Joseph <clears throat> doesn't get much press, he's mentioned in all four Gospels. But did you realize not one line from Joseph is ever spoken? He gets no words in the script. But even though you don't see or hear Joseph very much, the love of Joseph washes over this entire account. When Joseph finds out that Mary is pregnant, his fiance is pregnant, he realizes he's got two alternatives. He could demand a public trial. I mean, they have signed a contract, a covenant. He could, he could declare a public hearing and he could out Mary and her unfaithfulness. He could even have her stoned to death. <coughs> or... He, he, he could take a silent route. He, he could break the contract silently, not exposing her to public shame and, and just kind of, kind of sweeping it all under the rug. What, what's he gonna do? Well, look at Matthew chapter one, verse 19. <clears throat> Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man and did not want to disgrace her publicly. So he decided to break the engagement quietly. You read that, and I read that, and we know that. But, but, but as, I, as I tried to look afresh at this whole account this last week, I'm like, in the midst of the hurt, in the midst of the shame, in the midst of the confusion, Joseph didn't want to cause any guilt or shame to fall on Mary. Why would a man who feels like he's been betrayed by the woman he loves why would he not want to disgrace her? Why would he not want to shame her? You know what I mean? Because he loved her. He really loved her. An angel is gonna appear to Joseph to tell him, no, Joseph, this indeed is true. 
And when Joseph wraps his brain around that, you know the first thing he does? He arranges for a hurried up wedding. Now why? He doesn't want anyone linking the fact that Mary was pregnant before they were married. So, so he is gonna try to, again, shield her, try to protect her from any guilt or any shame that the world might throw to her. And again, I ask why. Well, Percy Sledge was right on. When a man loves a woman, can't keep his mind on nothing else, he'd change the world for the good thing he's found. And that was Joseph. He loved Mary with every fiber of his being. And not only did he love her that way, do you know how else he loved her? And again, it's something that you and I just, again, it gets hidden behind the glaze and the lights. The other thing is this, his wife was gonna have a child that wasn't his. Have you ever stopped to consider that? Again, have you ever stopped to, to get in Joseph's skin and to say, how did that make him feel? Float with me there. Let that wash over you this morning. In a day where a male son, a male biological son meant that your dynasty was secure, meant that your family branch in the tree was, was solid, Joseph was coming to grips with raising a son who biologically did not come from him. I wonder how that impacted him. And even though it's not spelled out, I believe Joseph understood that a father is more than biology. And I believe, man, through the pages of scripture, at least in the early parts, you, you can see a father who loved his wife because he loved a son that wasn't his. Joseph did what he could to protect Jesus, moving him to Egypt, laying aside his hopes, his dreams, his business back in Nazareth to go to Egypt just to protect that boy. Joseph taught Jesus the scriptures. He would have taught him how to pray. He taught him a trade. Joseph was learning to raise God. And I don't know how long Joseph lived. He, he kind of disappears from the pages of scripture. After the, Jesus is in the temple, he disappears, never to be seen or heard from ever again. And most scholars speculate that Joseph probably died, leaving Mary a widow because he's not found in, in, the, in, you know, in any of the crucifixion or any of the ministry of Jesus. But this unsung hero, this giant of the faith, when you look deep enough, you will see a man who loved his wife and loved his boy, even though he wasn't biologically his. And I think it teaches all of us men how to indeed love. And that's one great part of this account. But we also see the love of a mother. Not only the love of a, of a husband, but the love of a mother. Look at Luke chapter two, look at verses six through seven. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloth, placed him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. Now, now, now this is the core. This is the essence of the Christmas account. For nine months, Mary has given life to the little baby inside her. She has sacrificed her body. She has felt every kick and every turn. And, and not only has Mary shared physical life with Jesus, she shared emotional life. Every prayer she's ever prayed, he heard. 
Every song she ever sang, he heard. Every worry she ever expressed, man, he heard. They, they have shared this bond and this life together. And I wonder, did Mary perhaps ever ponder what would he look like? What color hair will Jesus have? What color eyes will my son have? Will he resemble Joseph? Or will it be obvious that his father is someone else? These are all things that were inside Mary. And nine months of anticipation, nine months of worry and hardship and joy met in that moment when Jesus was born and, and she holds him for the very first time. And, and I don't know if you can picture it in your mind, but I picture it often as she looks into the eyes of Jesus. She is looking into the eyes of God. Truly a wonder. The love that Mary has for Jesus is magnified in so many ways. I thought, I thought this week, you know, the narrative of the manger, we often float there and fixate there, but here's where my brain went. There comes that moment when she and Joseph are gonna leave that stable, leave that manger, and I just wonder, I just wonder if she handed Jesus off to Joseph and and Joseph took him towards the donkey to make the journey back. I wonder if Mary said, can I have a minute? And I wonder if she just stopped and turned and looked into that stable one last time. Think about it, as a mom, I think she probably did. And as she surveyed that area, as she remembered the shepherds who had come, said that they were visited by an angel, and as she pondered the the account of the wise men, and as she soaked in every smell and every, trying to store them and treasure them and put them into this museum of her mind, I think she did. Because look at what Luke chapter two, verse 19 tells us. Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. Mary didn't want to lose a single moment. She didn't want to lose a single memory, a single smell from this incredible, awesome experience. She loved her son, and she would do anything to protect him. Mary and Joseph are going to take Jesus up to Jerusalem, just five miles north. They're going to dedicate him. And do you remember how that went as they walked through the temple with their boy for the first time? As, as they were going to dedicate him and offer the poor sacrifice of the two pigeons, they were met by a, a very religious man, a man named Simeon, a man who had been promised that he would not die until he saw Messiah. And as Simeon is, is led by the Spirit to Jesus, and as he holds him in his shaky, wrinkled hands, Simeon holds him up and says, the salvation of Israel, the light of the Gentiles has come. The one who I hold will cause the rising and the falling of many in Israel. And it's another moment for Mary. It's another scrapbook memory that she will file away. But then it all changes. As Simeon hands him back and says, a sword will pierce your soul. 
It's a prophecy that foreboding pain and great difficulty would follow this child. And perhaps that drives Mary to be overprotective of her son. Her love would protect him from a mad king trying to kill him. Her love would soothe his heart from disappointment. Her love would manifest by rocking him at night when he couldn't fall asleep. Her love would encourage him when he felt disappointed. That's what moms do. They sacrifice unconditionally. But then the day came that every mom probably dreads. The day when her little boy grew up and her little boy would leave her. He was leaving home to set about doing his father's business. And he said to her, I must minister and I must go. And crowds swelled and people followed. But, but like any, any mom, she stayed on the sidelines. She quietly kept her eye on her boy. And when it came time for him to die, she was there. She had to do the most painful thing any human would have to go through. She, she had to bury a child. And some of you in this room, you know that pain too. And she was there. And a sword did indeed pierce her soul. And as you read this account of the birth of Christ, you see this wonderful love of a man, of a husband. You see this incredible love of a woman who's, who's a mother, but look deeper. Look through the varnish. Look through the dust, and you'll see the greatest love of all. You'll see the love of God. The love of God. Our deepest longing, <laughs> our deepest longing is to feel loved. Loved not because of what we do or who we are, loved because of whose we are. We, we just want to be loved unconditionally. The Bee Gees expressed it this way, how deep is your love, right? Foreigner wanted to know what love is. The Backstreet Boys didn't care what you did as long as you loved me. M music is ingrained. Love is ingrained in our music. But love drives our movies. Oh, what? Turn to your neighbor. What's, what's the greatest love movie you've ever, you've ever seen? Do you, do you have a favorite? Uh, oh, there's, there's, there's Romeo and Juliet. The Notebook. How many of you have seen The Notebook? Oh, that's a great love story. But perhaps the greatest love movie ever made is this one, Jay. No? Titanic. Oh, do you remember Titanic? How many of you have seen the movie? Oh, it makes a grown man cry every single time. Jack and Rose. Do you, do you remember? Do you remember the great love quotes from the movie? If you jump, Jack, I jump. Or how about this one? Rose winning that ticket was the best thing that ever happened to me because it brought me to you. Oh, so good. But perhaps the greatest love line of the entire movie is when the boat is sinking and everybody's jumping into the water. And then there's this moment when Jack and Rose, oh, there it is. Oh, I'm going to cry. Oh, can, can, can you feel it? When they're floating on the, on the little piece of wood and, 
and, and she looks at Jack and she says those words, I'll never let go. I'll never let go, Jack. And what does she do? She lets go and he drowns. All right, enough of that, enough of that. I'm gonna cry. We, where does that come from? It comes from this internal desire that is there someone who would love me like that? Is there someone who would give their life for me? Even, even all the bad parts of me, would, would someone love me? And every Christmas, man, it whispers to us, for God so loved you that he gave his one and only son that if you would believe, you will not perish but have everlasting life. That, my friends, John 3.16 is Christmas in a verse. It's Christmas in a verse. You are so loved by God. And that's the message that is hidden behind the dust and the varnish of secularism and consumerism. You are so deeply loved. I, 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 don't, I don't know what God could do to prove his love for you any more than what he did. I mean, can, can you imagine God in heaven saying, how can I prove to them? How can I show them beyond a shadow of a doubt how much they mean to me? Well, I could give them a car with a red bow. No, cars will rust. I could give them an iPhone. I could give them some. No, you know what I'll do? I will send a part of me. I, I will send my son and he will become like one of them. He will, he will know what it's like to be hungry. He will know what it's like to be sick. He will know what a broken heart feels like. And he will go to a cross and he will die for their sin. And Christmas reminds us the extent of how deeply we are loved by our creator. And maybe today you're in this room and you don't feel very loved by God. Maybe, maybe if someone's told you that you've disappointed God. Maybe, maybe you sit here today thinking that God is somehow mad at you. Maybe you think, how could God ever love a failure like me? Maybe you need to be reminded of, of an eternal truth. Let, let, let me show something to you, and I hope you'll hang on to this at Christmas. Um, I hold in my hand a hundred dollar bill. Boy, it even smells good, right? Crisp, clean. For the purpose of this hypothetical exercise, how many of you would want a hundred dollar bill, no strings attached? Can I see your hands, anybody? If your hand is not up, man, I'm, I'm, I'm a little surprised. Everybody would want a hundred dollar bill. Now watch this. What if I did this to it? What if I just crumbled it up? How many would still want it? Oh, okay, that didn't change your mind. Well, well wait, wait a minute. What if, what if I did? What if I did this? What if I? What if I just? Just. <clears throat> what if I? What if I did something like that? Did, who, who would still want it? Well, you still would. Well, let me, let me see if I can change your mind. What if I took out a big red marker and I wrote the word bad on it? Or what if I wrote the word guilty on it? Or what if I wrote, wrote the word shame on it? Would you still want it? If, if you still would want that $100 bill, you understand the principle. 
that the condition of the bill doesn't change its value. And what's true for a $100 bill is certainly true for a man or a woman created into the image of God. Friend, he loves you. No matter what bad thing you thought, what bad thing you said, what bad thing you've done, none of us are crisp. None of us are clean. We've all been trampled. We've all been told things. We've all said things. But it doesn't change the value that you have in the eyes of your heavenly Father. He still loves he still wants a relationship with you. And at least one time a year, that message is told loud and clear. And if you'll just look through the layer of lights, if you'll just gaze through the glaze of the garland, you will see and hear and experience that great love again. But you've got to receive it. And today, I hope, and I pray that you have. Let's pray.